Hi, Michaela. Hi, Steve. Well, today we have an AMA question for you, an Ask Me Anything question from Anonymous. To quote Anonymous. <laughs> that just don't say that. Say we got a question from No, someone. no, it's a question from Anonymous. It's important that we Why? credit the source. It's a, we have to credit the source. Anonymous is writing us many questions, and I think we should praise them for that and recognize them. So thank you, Anonymous. Here's the question. To quote, a lot of the advice out there on relationships suggests we should ask ourselves when meeting a new potential partner if we can accept the person as we find them, and if not, consider whether it's the right relationship. I can totally understand this, but wonder how we balance not betting on potential with being open to people being able to strengthen certain things, for example, open communication. It feels like it could become too easy to walk away from something otherwise. Okay, good question, and quite a nuanced question, of course, to answer, because, yes, there's a lot of, um, you know, information out there on what should you do in the beginning of a relationship, and there's these two things that that happen to people in general when it comes to starting a relationship or whom they want to be in a relationship with. And one of them, of course, is uh, the famous, and we've talked about this before, the dating potential and meaning somebody who can be fixed up, you know, somebody who has good bones, so to speak. And if they would just dress better or uh, communicate better or have a different job or change their friends or um, you know, work out or whatever it is, then they would be perfect or, uh, you know, much more insidious is the, well, they might not want a child now, but they will want one when I'm done with them, or they might not want a committed relationship now, but wait, let me show them how good I am. And then they want to be with me, right? There is versions of that. And so there's the dating potential kind of, um, situation that is of course always warned against. And I say a few things about that in a moment. But then there's also the other um, version where people essentially pretend to be something they're not in order to get into a relationship. And where they essentially, um, let's say, accentuate parts of them that are not really that strong. Um, classic example, right? The, the, somebody in the in in the new relationship likes a sport or likes a particular genre of music, or and suddenly it's also exciting, and the other person goes along with it and gets very enthusiastic, because that's also part of you know wanting to engage with someone. But really, that's not their thing. You know, classic one is somebody's really outdoorsy, the other person's not, and then they go along with being outdoorsy, and then down the line in the relationship, it's like, oh, another weekend of hiking in the, you know, great outdoors, you know, I don't want to do it. And then th that starts a whole set of circumstances. So both of these things exist as a problematic entry into the relationship. And there's, of course, you know, there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum from um, liking somebody, but wanting to grow with them in a certain way to um, seeing somebody and assuming they can change into something they're not, right? There's a, like a big, big spectrum here, many shades of whatever color you might want to choose. And then on the other end, of course, there is um, 
you know, wanting to connect with somebody and form a basis and a, and a commonality and doing things that you wouldn't usually do, which is also quite um, good for a relationship because there's a sense of adventure and newness and excitement that can also create a really lovely bond. But then where do you just go along with something and learn to love it and find it exciting? And where do you compromise your own needs and maybe even values in order to align with that person so the relationship works? So those are essentially the opposite ends of, you know, or the, the, the both sides of the coin. And I think in that question, that's quite nicely described because Obviously, when you get to meet someone uh, and you don't know them yet, um, you know, there's an excitement and there's also, you know, kind of a chemistry and an infatuation and bonding hormones and sex hormones and all kinds of things that uh, might cloud the view of who they really are. So, um, yeah, of course, you have to get into a relationship in order to know if that's the right kind of relationship. But there's also aspects where there's a bit of a, a immediate red flag, so to speak, in the sense that when you are wanting to have children or when you're wanting to be in a committed relationship and the person you are infatuated with doesn't want children because they already have them or they don't want them at all, or they are very actively engaged in multiple relationships, um, those are red flags that probably can't be overlooked. So it's a bit of both. You have to be clear on your core values and do those core values align. And then there's some wiggle room on things you don't know about or that are in fact something that you have to kind of learn how to connect, right? Often in the beginning of a relationship, there's things that haven't been quite smoothed out like communication or even sexual stuff or, um, you know, habits that that haven't gelled or that haven't clicked in. So no, it's not a, oh, you know, there's a few things that need to be worked on. Uh, I should immediately leave. So that's definitely not the case. But um, there are some red flags or things that definitely require a very uh, thorough investigation right up front. So I'm going to stop here for a moment because I could go on and on on this and see if you want me to elaborate or if you have something to add here as well. Yes, a couple of questions, actually. One of them is, to your last point, how much change is it reasonable to expect? Something of a truism in psychology and therapy and so on, that change is not so easy to come by and drastic change, certainly even less so. Maybe an improvement in communication style of learning some technique around having conversations about one's feelings or something like that. I suppose that could be learned. But how much change could you reasonably expect? You think, well, maybe they'll learn, maybe they'll change. How much could we reasonably expect a person to change? Yeah. Well, you know, this year will be the 25th year of me working with people one-on-one -on -one, um, in, in this realm. And I can tell you that in looking back at 25 years of, you know, counseling and therapy and teaching and couples work, um, I would say expect very little change. And here's what I mean with little change. 
I think that we make we have to make a very big differentiation between learnable skills and let's say general um, character traits or personality traits or, or authentic self or sovereign self, right? There's many, many ways you can say that true self. I think that there has to be a very clear distinction made between who is this person fundamentally and what are they fundamentally about and what are some skills that both people, one or both people in the relationship can learn? And so those are very, very different things. So let's say, because uh, our question was about communication, let's say two people get together and they have basically agreed on a format for the relationship, right? We always talk about aligning the purpose of the relationship and then refreshing the purpose of the relationship often, right? Um, so, so once it's established that there is a common purpose in the relationship, then you can say, well, you know, we have different communication styles, but we want basically the same thing. Let's learn some skills, right? Like nonviolent communication or, you know, um, feeding back what you've heard or giving, you know, even simple things like giving the other person space to talk and not immediately cutting them off or anticipating what you what they say already or things like that. You can learn that. You can go in various ways and learn some skills from books, from courses, from therapists on how to, um, you know, deepen the communication and, and improve the communication. But if you have two people where one wants to share their feeling all the time under all circumstances, and it's like this live interpretation of, um, I'm feeling this, now I'm feeling this, and I'm thinking this means this, and now I'm feeling this, and why are you not answering to the feeling I just had three minutes ago? And the other person is more of the ilk of, um, you know, not really wanting to engage that much with moment-by-moment -moment feelings and looking at the bigger picture, that over time will, you know, cause a bit of upset and friction that could really erode the relationship and their different personality styles. So yeah, same true for let's say sexual stuff. So in general, there's a certain amount of, um, let's say smoothing out the edges of, you know, the body memory of previous lovers and things like that, where it it's, might be a bit clunky to begin with, but there has to be a general attraction, a general willingness to connect erotically. Now, once that's established, then you can go on a big adventure, so to speak, and explore things you both like or explore something that one person likes and the other person is willing to explore and give to them for the sake of the play. But if you already have issues to begin with, there's a good chance these issues will deepen as all the, you know, let's say hormonal and bonding hormones wane over time. So that those are the distinctions. Skill, you know, like definition or skill acquisition and different personalities or different types of behaviors. And that's, you know, that there's a big inquiry there. Let's flip it on its head for a moment. This question is framed in terms of finding a partner. And we've just been discussing now how much change might you expect it's unreasonable to expect someone to be perfect, but on the other hand, you can't expect them to become a different person. So what's 
the reasonable amount of change to expect, you've just detailed that. What if you're the one who is being encouraged, shall we say, to change? What if you're the one who's hearing that, let's take communication as the example that you've been using, that uh, your communication style, perhaps you hear from your partner, is not, is not good enough or not working for them, uh, not sufficient or in some sort of a way. How to differentiate between the sort of change one should attempt to achieve in oneself and what might end up amounting to an incompatibility? Yeah. You know, I think these are very intricate points because it is such a sliding scale there in the sense that uh, it also depends on how it's framed and phrased, right? So um, some people are really good at saying, here are some of the things I would really appreciate and need. Can you help me with this? Or can you accommodate me here? And that's a very different kind of question than this doesn't work for me, change, right? There is something wrong with you. I'm right, you're wrong. You need to fix yourself or I can't be with you, right? So that's a very different thing. Or I have some requirements uh, that come through my nervous system or the way I'm, I'm used to communicating or the way I work. And I'm wondering if we can work on this because the way you communicate and the way I communicate don't fit, right? That's a big difference. And so, of course, if your partner asks you in a, in a fairly reasonable way and also points out as to um, how that affects them in, in their, you know, in, in their emotional well-being or mental well-being, then it's definitely worth looking at are there skills that could be learned or are there things that could be improved? But essentially, anytime somebody starts making you wrong for who you are, that is a red flag. Uh, that's not to say that you there is not things that could be um, worked with, right? Absolutely. Sometimes the people who love us can and, and really are with us can point to things that could use a little bit of refinement, let's say, or maybe, you know, sometimes in stress, when 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 things get very stressful, we kind of devolve into our lowest um, potential. And then with a little bit of adjustment and relaxation and working on things, we come back to who we really are. So th there's a lot of leeway there. But the one thing that I would say is anytime somebody doesn't like who you are fundamentally, that is a reason for serious uh, consideration. Because the thing is, if you are told that you are not right the way you are, and you need to change for it to work, you are now having to essentially audition and, and work for the love in a way that's going to be detrimental to the relationship. And so in moments like that, it's really important to either go to somebody who can really, um, you know, kind of tease out what's really happening or, um, you know, as a, as a couple or have a therapist who is trustworthy go, well, your partner is somewhat right here. Or listen, as a matter of fact, you could... Uh, maybe consider that this is a trait that doesn't serve you. And with that, it also doesn't serve the relationship, which is very different than change yourself so you get loved, which is never a good idea. It sounds to me like what you're saying is if the change that the partner is proposing can be seen to be good 
for the changee and not just simply a means of accommodating the changer, then that puts it in the give it a go section. And if the change being requested is to the detriment of the changee, in other words, I'm asking you to change something about yourself, which is to your detriment for my benefit, then that's, that's a no-go. And then yes. there's a gray area in the middle where maybe the change is not clearly beneficial or detrimental to the changee, but is somehow being requested by the partner. Please change this for me. It makes no difference to you either way, maybe, or it's ambiguous. Please change. And then it sounds like that. That one is, is that also a no-go or is that ambiguous or how, how to navigate that middle category? Well, it also depends on where you are in the relationship and what's the general tone of the relationship, right? First date. First date. <laughs> That's right. I usually get it. It's like... <laughs> No, I'm just joking. That's what's so important about these things that they're they're you know it's not a one size fits all make a meme on Instagram kind of a situation. Uh, it's very it's very much um, dependent on who the people are and what the relationship is and what the situation is. But you said it very um, nicely there. It's like when it makes no difference to the changee, right? Then the changee can be generous in giving off oneself or and, and of creating that change for the sake of the relationship and the person. Um, so, you know, that that's not a bad thing in itself. But if it's done from a place of I'm not good enough, I need to, um, you know, maintain this relationship, even though I don't want to do this, or even worse, I hear this a lot. If I don't do this, I have a meltdown on my hands. I don't want a meltdown, so I'll do this, right? That's a deeply compromising, not in a positive compromise, negative compromising uh, situation where you're essentially appeasing the the bad moods and the you know the the tantrums of the partner. This goes both ways, um, just to have some peace. That's the beginning of a long. Um, you know, not so fun marriage, uh, you know, and when you hear people say, well, but don't, doesn't relationship mean compromise? Well, it means meeting each other somewhere where it's agreeable to both, not one person compromising themselves just to have some peace and quiet. And there's a big difference there. If somebody doesn't like to text, they don't think about texting, they're busy, texting isn't their thing, but the, the other partner really wants that text and it is understood that it's not a power play to make that person bend to their will, but it's an actual, how they say, love language, right? It's an actual thing that makes them, that that's the way they feel connected. Then that's a, you know, then that's a, something that can be discussed, even if it's a chore to do list, if it doesn't compromise that person, right? So, so, uh, you know, my love language, one of my big love languages is a cup of tea, you know? So meaning I love drinking tea. I love making tea. I love all things tea. So when someone brings me a cup of tea, I'm going to feel really happy. I feel considered. I feel like that person knows me and, um, you know, it feels good. Now, 
whoever brings me the tea might not even drink tea, right? Or or doesn't like tea or whatever. If that's not a um, selling out of who they are, then they could certainly consider doing that for my enjoyment and delight. But if I go, well, I know you don't care for me because you don't bring me my tea in the morning, we're in troubled waters because I'm essentially saying, you are not who I want and you need to change so I feel happy. So that's the thing. And then the person who just gives the tea as a love offering will feel a kind of a, a feeling of joy and generosity when, when that's being received. Now, it can go either way, I'd say. But I think anything you can do from a place of actual generosity, not martyrdom, and that you can do from a place of not feeling like it's compromising your you know, essential being is always nice in a relationship. And we've talked about this many times, right? Generosity is really the the, the backbone and the pointer of successful long-term relationship. And perhaps we could flip it back to the changer. If you're in a situation where you'd like someone to change your behavior or add something or stop doing something, it's been my observation that there are different categories of request. Some requests are a request that comes from something important to you, the person who's requesting the change, something important. There's some behavior that's happening or that isn't happening that puts you in a difficult situation. But there are other categories of change that are more to do with bringing the experience of relationship in line with what one imagines relationship should be like. Having read books, seen movies, talked to one's friends. Uh, relationships look like this. Partners do that. So I want the relationship to look like that. And then I think such a request can benefit from a bit of interrogation as to say, well, how important is this to you? Never mind what relationships are supposed to look like according to where you've picked that idea up. What's how necessary is that? Or how important that maybe it is important, in which case fair enough. But how important is it to you? Uh, to what degree does your relationship need necessarily in every aspect to resemble an idea of a relationship that you've picked up from a place? So do you agree with that parsing I've done there and how to uh, differentiate what's important to you as the person making the request and what might actually not be that important it may be more to do with bringing the relationship in line with one's idea of relationship? Well, you know, I think that's a really important consideration because there is so much out there that's fed to us, um, that's so strong that we've assimilated it and we don't even know we've assimilated it. All the love stories, all the ads, right? All the ads about the proposal and the romantic getaway and the you know door opening and there being the surprise party or the romantic dinner or the sexy something. There is so much that we don't even know has been essentially sold to us as to how it needs to be done. And a lot of it is sold to us either from a place of commerce, right? And this includes, you know, the stuff you see on Instagram of, you know, the perfect couple and the perfect vacation with their perfect two children or their perfect proposal, all of those kind of things. And, you know, people who have sex all the time and it's always pleasurable and, you know, all of those kind of things, they seep into the system to the point 
where we don't know where we begin and somebody else ends around that. And I've noticed even, you know, knowing all of this, that sometimes I watch something and it's like, oh, why don't I have this, right? Like that's the first thing that happens because of course, all of Instagram and all of advertising and all of, uh, you know, corralling people into certain behaviors has to do with, with eliciting exactly that response. And so when I have that response, I just had this yesterday, I was like, oh, that was like, wait a second. I wouldn't want that. If that actually happened to me, that is so not in line with who I am, but I completely fell for that thing, right? Because it's so deeply built in fairy tales, movies, TV shows, romance novels, blah, 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 right? So I think anytime there's a complaint about, I think the relationship should look like this and I don't have this, it's there's two things to do. One of which is... Um, how do you contribute to the picture you have in mind? And do you really want the thing that you say you want? Right. These are these are the two things. One of which is um, if you really want that type of relationship, what do you need to do from your end to make that, uh, let's say, joyous co-creation? And so, and that's not just demanding something, right? I want flowers every Saturday, bring me flowers, right? Um, if you don't bring me flowers, I feel really like you no longer care. Well, that's, you know, yeah. I mean, you can program AI to send you flowers every Saturday and that's not going to cut it. What, what, what would be, um, you know, potentially useful is to say, I really love gifts. I just love little things. It makes, that's my love language. It makes me feel very considered. I really like texts. It makes me feel connected. And then the other person can go, well, I couldn't care either way, but it's something that makes this person really happy. So um, I want to be generous. I want to be loving. I want to make them feel like I care about them because I do care about them, but I care about them by making them a cup of tea, but they want to be cared about with flowers. So, well, maybe I'll just, you know, throw some flowers in ever so often because I do care and this is their language, right? That's, I, I think that's a perfectly fine um, thing to do. But what doesn't work is when you essentially require kind of a sacrifice from the partner so you feel they care, right? Where it has to be the sacrificial offering of some sort, a sacrifice of their time, their money, their emotions, their sovereignty. Um, you know, they have to kind of give something that's not really them just so you feel like they've sacrificed enough to um, you know, make you feel worthwhile. That's a really, really bad idea. So while I think orienting towards generosity and and like common giving um, could happen, where for instance, then if you would like the flowers, when the flowers arrive, you show some genuine enjoyment and you are actually happy for those flowers, meaning um, you receive the flowers and you don't just go, oh, thanks. What are we doing now, right? But you're like, oh, wow. And you arrange them and you put them in the room and you smell them and you, you're you like genuinely enlivened by the flowers. Great. 
But if it's just a pound of flesh um, that you are, you know, uh, requesting so that the relationship is serviced, then not a good idea. This has been so wonderful. Thank you. Uh, listeners, dear listeners, dear viewers, dear readers of transcripts and subtitles, please send us your questions. AMA, ask Michaela anything. You can send us the questions to workshops at MichaelaBohm.com or via our Instagram at mickbohm 77 Michaela Bohm, thank you very much. Thank you, Steve.